And I was not in front. There we go. I was not in front of a speaker. Like that. Hey, if you want to have a seat, just real quick, I got a couple announcements for you uh, before we stand and sing again. First of all, welcome. Um, thanks for being here. We know it's toward the end of summer. Things are crazy. People are, are actually traveling, doing some different things. And so thanks for joining us online, if that's where you are, wherever you are, uh, joining us online. But there's a couple things that we wanted to make you aware of, just as we're, we're going through this life that we're living right now. Um, first, and maybe maybe most importantly, uh, next week, what Rachel and I have talked, and um, we're, we're bringing in some donuts next week. So it's time um, to get some donuts. Now, we might have to sit them outside so we can, you know, spread out and eat them on underneath the portico, as we're calling it now, um, in the shade. But just, just know that that is the plan, um, to do that next week. And so a lot of people have asked, people have been wondering, um, with the announcement that was made in our state as of last week, at the middle of last week, uh, what are we going to do starting tomorrow here? And so here's what I want to tell you. Um, God has put, put us in a very unique position in life, uh, being believers in Christ. Having the opportunity to gather is tremendous. And so what advice we want to give to you is this. Um, if you're able, we would love for you to be able to follow uh, the rules of the land as they exist, because God asks us to do that. He asks us, to, as far as it depends on us, to live at peace with everyone. And it's not easy to do <laughs> sometimes. And so we're just asking that, that if, if possible, um, that would be great for you to, to be able to participate in that way. I've talked to McKenna, um, and she's going to kind of institute basically a similar, uh, similar things downstairs um, for kindergarten through fifth grade uh, with the masks and not for the younger ones, um, but for the teachers. Very similar to what some of our students will be experiencing when they go back to school. So um, just know uh, that's where we stand. That's what we're doing. We're just so grateful to be able to gather together, um, and, and we don't want to make this about anything else other than being the people of God and being the example that we are supposed to be um, in this world. And that is our main mission and our main goal. All right, so don't lose hope in that. Don't lose, don't forget about that. You'll understand a lot more as we start this series here in just a few minutes. The other thing that I want to tell you is much, much, much more exciting um, than that, we hope, uh, and that is this. Uh, this week and next, uh, the, the staff and leadership are going to be interviewing um, three potential worship ministry candidates for us, and so um, be in prayer about that specifically, okay? Be in prayer very specifically about that, that if one of those individuals is the person that God is leading our direction, that uh, God would reveal that to us, we be able to discern that. That is not the final phase of the process, it's just the next phase in the process. So please, be in prayer for that, all right? And along with that, something that we'll be addressing again, but something that you need to be aware of, is in order um, for that hire to take place when God wants it to take place, obviously we've gotta be able to, to provide a living for that staff member. Um, being a full-time position. And so there's some very specific things that we as a church will have to make sure that we do moving forward. And, and we'll let you know more about that as, as uh, the, the time comes closer. All right, but just be in prayer specifically about these, these interviews coming up, that if, if one of these individuals is that person that God wants us to discern using his wisdom is to be the person that joins us, um, and then two, that we can provide um, for that, that person's needs. Um, and so uh, those are the, the couple big things that we have for you. Those are exciting, exciting things. I know they are in our world. I know they are in their world. Um, and so uh, they have done an awesome, incredible job, and uh, we just can't wait to see what God has revealed to us coming into the future. All right, let's, let's pray. Um, to start this morning. Father God, uh, we come into your house just grateful, thankful for the opportunity to gather and worship together. And unfortunately, across this country especially, uh, so many have either been denied the opportunity to gather or so many have chosen to not gather any longer 
Um, and Father, that is a sinful, sinful thing to do. Uh, you ask us very specifically to never forsake gathering together. It is an essential, essential part of our faith. And so we just pray for those uh, that can't gather because of, of this rule or regulation, those that have chosen not to gather any longer. We pray that you will bring them back into the fellowship, into the body of Christ as you require us to do. And Father, those that are fearful of gathering, we pray that your peace will overcome them as we're going to talk about these next three weeks. As, Father, we consider the reality of your presence in our life. And, Father, do we truly trust in you? Do we truly rely on you for everything? Or are our hopes and trust misplaced in this world, Father? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and stand to sing. Parents, have any of you ever had that experience in life before? I ask. I know that, that we have uh, all the things going on around us, all the, the life events, the realities that, that exist, the, the rules we're, we're, uh, we're having to play by, if you will. For a believer in Christ or even a non-believer, we're all kind of at that point. We're like, okay, are we done yet? Are we there yet? Are we, are we ready? And for the believer, there might be some more serious questions that you might potentially be asking. And so that's what we're going to be talking about. Is, is there any question that we are on a journey in this life? I want you to think about that because nearly everyone on the planet, believer or not, shares that idea that, that life is a journey. If you're a planner, then you probably have your life all mapped out according to your preferred future and everything that you would like to have happen because you are in pursuit of that preferred future. If you happen to be a procrastinator, well then you're probably waiting to the last possible moment. <laughs> no, you're not. You're waiting for the last possible moment to make that decision uh, to do whatever it is that you're probably going to do eventually anyway, Right? Is that the way you view life? Maybe it is. I, I don't know. Everybody's a little different in that part of the world. But the reality is this. Um, if you are a believer in Christ, then you know deep down inside, hopefully, that your ultimate destination lies with Jesus in heaven. And you await that day. Although I think sometimes as believers, we don't await it as eagerly as maybe we should, but we'll get to that later on in the series. In the reality, aren't we all just kind of like kids sitting in the back seat, jumping up and down, yelling at our parents, are we there yet? Now, I won't ask for adult confessions here, but how many of you did do that as a kid? You, you were the kid in the back asking, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Why did we ask? What was our reasoning behind asking? Maybe it was something really, really urgent, like, say, a restroom stop, right? Maybe you really needed to go to the restroom, so you were asking if we're there yet. Maybe, just maybe, it was your siblings. You were annoyed to death with them, and you couldn't wait to get out of the car and get away from your siblings. So maybe your motivation was completely, your motivation was completely personal in that moment. Maybe... Just maybe it was your parents' music. <laughs> you couldn't wait to get away from the torturous music that they were playing for you. That is a possibility. Or maybe there's a chance that you were actually really excited to get to the destination, and so you genuinely just wanted to hurry up and get there. All of those things are completely possible. Here's the thing. The truth be known. On our life destination, take the car for example. You oftentimes know exactly where you are, but you're not paying attention. Our kids do this to us all the time. 
they'll ask, are we almost home yet? A, a quick glimpse out the window would be easy to notice that, yes, we are nearing the exit. It's exit number 41, Kinley will tell you. We're right there, very close to home. In the life of the believer, is it any different? If we were to pause and look around at the world around us and the things happening all around us, could we determine that we're almost there? Whatever that might mean as we talk about it. It's an issue with Christians right now. We understand the concern. We're not making light of anything at all. We want to offer encouragement. The purpose behind this series is for all of us to just kind of take a deep breath, relax, and refocus on God and the reality that He alone is in control. He alone knows what the future holds. And if you are a believer and you put your faith and trust in Him, then He knows and you know where your hope lies. And thank God, our hope does not lie in the Center for Disease Control. The ho our hope does not lie in the National Institute for Health. Our hope does not lie in the World Health Organization. Our hope does not lie in our government and our politicians and the decisions that they make, nor does our hope lie in the research institutions and companies right now that are investigating and testing for a vaccine. That is not where our hope lies, and too many people put their hope in such things, and I'll be really honest, taking it another step forward. Our future does not lie in the hands that wish to overthrow the government or the things that surround the government to help enforce the law. That is not where our hope lies. So the question becomes, if you're a believer, does that bring peace to you? It's a hard question for some people to answer. If you choose to rest in the fact that God alone is in control, does that begin to put your mind at ease? I pray that it does. But in this moment, if you're struggling with the things of this world, then this series is absolutely, completely, and totally created for you. And if you're just one of the millions of Americans that are daily absorbing the news and facing this world without the hope of Christ, I ask, what are you left with? All of us during this time have been tempted to listen to or read or fall prey to the themes that are now being forced upon us daily via the media. We hear numbers of cases reported, and then we hear that they were misreported miscalculated. We're told to do X, Y, and Z only to find out a few days or weeks later or months later that well, X, Y, and Z really don't do anything at all. We're told there are things we need to do for the good of all, and then we're told, well, it really doesn't matter if you do them or not. We're told <laughs> bad news. 24-7, every single piece of news that you come across will, will be negative. But if you dig a little deeper in the research, you dig a little deeper out there in the things that are happening, there's actually a lot of good news, but you've got to find it on your own. It will never be shared with you. What do we do with that? What do we do with that? I told you a few weeks ago, one of my greatest concerns is we'll get to the end of this whenever the end is, and none of us will really know the truth at all because no one ever bothered to tell us what it was. <laughs> and that's a very real 
possibility. Everything seems to be subjective. Everything depends wholly, completely on who you are listening to. Truth seems to be dependent upon the day of the week or whose mouth it comes from or what that personal agenda of that person's mouth is, which of course means that there is no truth at all coming from those sources. And we have to consider that. Can I just tell you how thankful I am to be able to praise God that He alone never, ever changes? You never have to figure out where God's coming from on an issue. You just don't. He tells you plain and clear how it is. And if you don't mind, I'm going to remind you from Micah 3, 6. He said, and I quote, I, the Lord God, do not change. You can throw Jesus in the same boat, Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday, forever. Thank you, Jesus, that you are that way because this world is so subjective. Truth within this world is not subjective because Jesus is the only truth, the only way, and the only life worth living. Church, there's peace and comfort in that reality if we take it to heart. Now, if you're here today or you're watching us online and you don't have that peace, the events that are happening around you in the world have likely begun to take a toll. The stress and the anxiety of the disease or the fear of contracting, it could definitely be overwhelming. The effects of the disease on the economy, on jobs, on schools, have left many, many people with an uncertain future. The civil unrest that seems to be existing in the streets of our cities, the racial issues that have seemed to come to the forefront have made a lot of people wonder what on earth could possibly be next. So I'm going to ask you to turn to Mark chapter 2, a familiar parable to many of you, and relate it to some of what is happening today. The scene is set. Jesus has come into town. He's begun to fully implement his ministry. He started choosing his disciples. It's a critical, critical moment in his ministry. He's begun healing Great multitudes of people all over this region of the world, news of Jesus has begun to spread to others. And here we find him entering into a town called Capernaum. Jesus has presented this great power to the world, and people are now seeking. People that are suffering are seeking his great power. Those in power are seeking Jesus to try to figure out where on earth he is getting his power from. (laughs) His teachings, his behaviors, they're unorthodox, to say the least. He doesn't follow the proper protocol or obey the traditions as religious leaders think that he should. And so now he enters the city of Capernaum into a house, a very, very crowded house. The word of Jesus' miracles, his teachings have spread, and now people have packed in and out to hear and see what might happen next. Luke even reveals another layer in chapter 5, verse 17, as he tells us that the Pharisees and teachers of the law have also made their way in, probably not to find faith in Jesus. No, they were probably there to either distort or discredit or disprove what Jesus was saying in some way as to cause people not to follow Jesus of their own. But as I said, we're going to focus on Mark chapter 2. Whatever good it is that Jesus might be doing in this world, it had to be stopped. Why? Well, it had to be stopped unless he began to go along with the established rules and policies and procedures that the religious leaders had in place. So Mark's description of the room, Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. 
A few days later, when Jesus entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come. They gathered such a large number that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. The place was completely packed from wall to wall. They were standing room only. They were standing in the streets. They were staring in the windows, listening intently to what Jesus was saying. And then the plot thickens. Some men came, no number actually given, bringing to him, to Jesus, a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Now Mark just revealed there was way more than four men, but only four of them were carrying him. Since they could not get him to see Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. By digging through it and lowering the mat the man was lying on. Now when you pause there, there are so many things to consider Usually when you present this story, it's just that. It's, it's just the scene, what happens, what Jesus did, in miracle, it's amazing. But do we ever take into account, and I, I think we don't do this often, when we read Scripture, we don't take into account these are people. This is you and your friends carrying another friend to the foot of Jesus, and your friend is in desperate need, in this case, of healing. They have been paralyzed. And somebody has come up with the idea that Jesus is the only one that can heal him. They were so willing to do it that they couldn't get him in. They climbed to the roof. They dug a hole in the roof and dropped him before Jesus. What was going on beneath there as the roof was falling in? What was everyone thinking? Everybody just, hmm, wonder what that is. It's interesting. <laughs> Let's just stand here and what, what was going on? There had to be a little panic. What was happening? Did Jesus just stand there as, you know, rocks and things were falling on his head going, yeah, that's kind of annoying. Can you leave me alone? I'm trying to preach here. You know, what was he doing? What was he doing? Let's think about the man, the key figure here, the paralyzed man. Has he been paralyzed from birth? Had he been a victim of some sort, maybe in an accident that caused his paralyzation? Some commentaries suggest that it actually was a specific sin that led to the injury that caused his paralyzation. Here's the thing, we don't know. We don't know. Here's what we do know. We know the man was hopeless and the man was completely broken. In his life, in his culture, there was absolutely no hope for this person. He had to completely depend on everyone to do everything for him. There was no government program to help him survive. The fact that he was still even alive means he had a tremendous either family or friend support group that took care of his every single need. But you know what I've always really wondered about the story? Whose idea was it? Whose idea was it to bring this man to Jesus? Was it the man? Had he somehow heard about this Jesus, the rumors of what he had done for other people as he began to heal the masses? Did he beg his friends, can we please go? I heard Jesus coming down. Will you please, please, please take me to this man? We must understand there was no hope in his current life situation. There was no chance for healing, no opportunity for a better life, no future truly to speak of as all. This was his only hope at experiencing a better life, had he somehow been praying to God for a miracle, and now in his mind, this was the moment. You see, on his life journey, his life had already arrived. His fate was sealed, unless, unless this Jesus could heal him. But have you ever considered maybe it wasn't the man's idea? We don't know. There's no clues that tell us whose plan this was. Have you ever thought that maybe this was his friend's idea? These were his lifelong friends, and they're the ones who had heard about, maybe even seen, the incredible works of Jesus that had taken place other, in other cities. Maybe they convinced the man to allow them to take him 
to go see Jesus. After all, there was no other hope. Maybe Jesus was his last hope. Before we finish the miracle and the rest of the story, and I reveal just how relevant this scene is to our lives today, whether it was the paralyzed man that wanted to see Jesus, if Jesus could help, or it was his friends who convinced or maybe even drug him, literally, to go see Jesus, both parties, whichever it was, realized that Jesus was the only one who could heal him in any way. And what I want to share with you is that fact, that reality, has not changed. Jesus is still, right now, the only hope for healing, the only hope for change, the only hope for the future of this country or any other. Verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, that's even really generic. Who's there? Is it the friend? Friends? Is it the person on the mat? Is it everybody? Is it everybody in the crowd? When he saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Stop there. Whoever's idea it was to bring this man to Jesus, the boldness they show in ruining someone's roof to lower Jesus down or lower this paralyzed man before Jesus, laying him down at the feet of Christ, the crowd's amazement at, oh my goodness, what is Jesus going to do with this? What is going to happen? His friends desperately hoping that maybe, just maybe, their efforts would pay off in some way. Who knows? Maybe our friend will walk out of this room. Can you imagine the look on the paralyzed man's face having been lowered through the ceiling? Everyone staring at him, dust and dirt all over him, lying at the feet of Jesus. Well, it was one of two things. It depends whether he believed or not. If he did not believe, then his look was one of embarrassment as he tried to hide himself from the crowd that would have all been staring. If he was one of belief, then he looked longingly into the eyes of Jesus with the only hope he could ever have of having a better life to the healing of Jesus. And after all this, Jesus says, Son, your sins are forgiven. What? 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 That is not why we came, Jesus. I'm guessing... Though he might have found inner peace in the moment, it probably didn't comfort that guy a whole lot in that very moment. It certainly would have disappointed his friends as they hoped he'd just jump up and walk. The crowd probably started murmuring, what is this all about? Is that all, Jesus? That's all you got? A sentence? Okay, all right, whatever. Now, there would have been a very obvious group of people that knew exactly what Jesus was saying, but they didn't believe Jesus had the power to do what he was saying. Verse 6, now some teachers of the law were there sitting, thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? <laughs> Little did they know, that's who Jesus was. Everyone in the house was either disappointed or angry or just completely confused about what was happening in that moment. And Jesus discerned the spirits around him, thinking what everybody was thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say you are forgiven or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So, so he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, go on your way. So he got up, he took his mat and walked out in full view of them all, amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this before. Believers, right now in our times that we live, which is easier, to say you believe in God, that your faith is in God, that you trust in God, 
or to put those words into action. Because a lot of believers are failing to put that faith and trust into action. In the paralyzed man's case, what did he truly, truly need? What was his greatest need? Well, his greatest perceived need by the world was, of course, the ability to stand up and walk. But Jesus knew his absolute greatest need. You see, the man, like myself, was a sinner. He was separated from God. And so Jesus healed him in the greatest way possible. He fulfilled the man greatest need to be declared not guilty before his God. But the compassion and mercy of Jesus extended way beyond that, didn't it? He had just given the paralyzed man the greatest gift he could ever possibly receive. And to prove it, he commanded the man to get up and walk out the door. Now, I've got to remind you, if you aren't aware, that in that time, in that culture, people believed that if this happened to you, it was as a result of some sin. In John chapter 9, we find the disciples questioning Jesus. Jesus is telling him about a man born blind. And the disciples ask, well, he was born blind. Who sinned? Was it the man or was his parents that sinned that caused him to be born blind? And Jesus informs them, well, actually neither is true for the blind man. And in this case, in the paralyzed man's case, Jesus was just covering all of the bases. The man was forgiven spiritually and physically restored in the sight of everyone there. It was an immediate transformation. Talk about raised to walk a new life. That's what it looks like. That's exactly what it looks like spiritually. Was the paralytic man a believer? Did he have faith that he could be healed? That question remains. We're not for sure. But what we do know is he responded to the command of Jesus absolutely and joyfully. Why did he respond? He responded because he was no longer a slave to sin, and he was now found in the freedom of Christ. And when Christ commanded him to get up and walk, whatever his body limitations was, he said, okay, and he went and walked. Think about that. He began to live that new life Jesus was offering to the fullest. I've always wondered how far away was this man from? How far did his friends have to carry him? On his way there, did he ever ask that question? Hey guys, are we there yet? What was his reaction when he got there a little late and the building was packed and there was no way he was going to be able to go before the feet of Jesus? What was his reaction in that moment? Did he beg his friends to take him to the roof and cut a hole in? Or did he think his friends were insane for trying such a feat. Now, how does all that relate today? Well, there are times in life, certainly like right now, where we've all begun to wonder, will this ever end? Are we there yet? And I want to ask you, will it? Whether it's this virus, whether it's another illness, whether it's the riots, whether it's the economy, the election, maybe a personal battle with sin. Will this ever end? How many of you ever heard the phrase, this too shall pass? Okay, I'll tell you accurately, it is in the book of Third Solomon. Go ahead and turn there with me. It's not in the Bible, folks. It's not there. 
It doesn't exist. Now, there are some passages that suggest some similar things, but there are key differences. For example, for this light and momentary affliction, light and momentary affliction. Yeah, five months have seemed like an eternity for some, but it pales in comparison of eternity, doesn't it? These light and momentary afflictions preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Those are the words of Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. But there is nothing in that verse nor anywhere else that tells us that the things of this world will get better. And that is why. We, as believers, must begin living as if we are certain of our tomorrow, our next life. We must not allow the events, the news, the media around us to paralyze us with fear. If you're a believer in Christ, then you and I are free. Our freedom does not come from this world, nor is our freedom limited in any way by this world. Our freedom is found in Christ alone. And right now, we have to use this great freedom more than ever because so many around us are paralyzed today. They are paralyzed possibly because of the sin in their own life. They might be paralyzed because of the choices that they've made or maybe because of evil things that have been done to them. All of those are possibilities. They are paralyzed right now by the media by social media, by the fear of what they think they know or have been told, or even by the fear of the unknown, which may never even occur. Church, here's the reality. We have to be the ones to load our friends up on a stretcher and take them before the feet of Jesus because he alone can heal their paralysis. You and I can argue with them forever and tell them whatever we believe But it is only Jesus who can allow them to rise and walk and forgive their sins forevermore. So we have to show them. We have to demonstrate for them this truth. Romans 8 is full of truth for the moment in which we live. If you haven't read Romans 8 lately, I would encourage you to do that. I'm going to pull one verse out for this moment. This verse is essential. Romans 8, verse 6. Listen carefully. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind of our media is absolutely of the flesh, and it is governed by death. Check out the lead story of every newscast. It always has to do with death. It is governed by death. The mind of those in the Spirit is life and peace. Is it life and peace on exhibit for all to see in our lives? Can people sense that, feel that around us, or are we as believers being led astray by the world? Has the world attempted to take our life, our freedom, our joy, and to steal our peace? See, this is a hard thing to admit because none of us want to admit this reality, but the truth is the world can't do that. The world is not powerful enough to steal anything from you in that regards. We, instead, must choose to give it to the world. It can't take it. If it has, 
If you have given your peace away and exchanged it for the fear that is surrounding us, then today is your day to come and repent. You've given away a gift of Christ in exchange for a lie of the world, and that would be sin. (laughs) Come back to Christ. Take back what he has already given you. Refuse to live in this world ruled by fear and offer peace to those around you that have none. The world is in desperate need of the peace of Christ. And unfortunately, fellow believers, we are some of the greatest victims of the fear right now. We have to spread a different message. It has nothing to do with rebellion. It has nothing to do with dishonoring rules. It has to do with lack of fear. And we have the only answer to that equation. As I said, this message is for all of us because at some point in time, virtually every one of us has struggled. We think and consider this. Next week, it's fully about fear and the final week is is a beginning to the answer. Are we there yet? As believers, are we there yet? It's an interesting question. Father God, as we consider all that is happening in this world, Father, the reality is, as Solomon so wisely said a long, long time ago, there is nothing new under the sun. Moments like this have existed in all of human history. We do live in different times. We live in different times where now, because of the way we access information We're being bombarded constantly, nonstop with negativity, with fear, with death. Father, we call upon your peace to come over your people and allow us to rest in your love, allow us to live freely in your grace and in your mercy, and allow us to represent these characteristics of God to those around us that are living in fear. Father, for everyone in here, it's going to look a little different. Everyone in here is going to have different opportunities. Everybody watching online is going to have different ways to spread this. Father, if we personally are struggling with these things, I pray that we begin to exchange the news of the world, turn off the news, put down the newspaper, get off of social media, and open the Word of God. (laughs) And spend our time wisely there. And find how quickly your peace returns to our souls. And Father, if there are people who you have brought to us this morning, wherever they may be, who are living in a state of fear, I pray that today your spirit invades their place in such a way that they realize there's a connection between this moment and you. And Father, your son is the answer. And that they reach out to someone maybe sitting here today or reach out online to us so they begin to walk down that path with us a peace found only in Christ. Father, we love you. And like Paul, it's hard to say, but uh, Father, we thank you for these trials. And we pray that as believers, we grow closer to you, closer to one another, and become more effective at spreading your love with others. It's in Jesus' name we pray.